internet! This is Walter Ciades Fedcheck here with a very exciting and special edition of the Guest the Lines Unicorn Challenge podcast. It is day one of the 2015 League of Legends World Semifinals between SK Telecom T1 and the European squad Orion. And with me, as always, is my good friend Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. Chase, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. You know, it's one of those things where we always talk about how you and I are co-hosts on this podcast, but then I always take the hosting duties, and I realized it's about time that I let you take the reins and kind of play around with this kind of thing. It's fun to be on the other side of this, and it's fun to have seen the quarterfinals that we did today, or semifinals that we saw today, because SKT and Origin pretty much went exactly as I was thinking it was going to. Well, I, it, it's fun for me to be on this side, but it took me 15 minutes to prepare just my introduction. I Of me <laughs> constantly listening to how you you know enter it and sitting in the mirror and trying to pronounce your last name correctly. <laughs> well, that's, which... uh, that's the fun part. We actually, uh, I'm going to give a shout out here to someone who we talked to about fixing some of our podcast issues in general. John Agro Irwin, he does the Crits cast, which is a Team Fortress 2 podcast, for those of you who aren't big Team Fortress 2 guys, he was willing to kind of sit down, listen to all our stuff, give us some really intense feedback. So we're going to try to make this podcast even better for you guys than it already was to kind of coincide with this new iTunes release, which thank you guys so much for supporting, by the way. We got quite a few subscribers last night. Things seem to be going really well on that end. So thank you guys so much for doing that. I actually have to download iTunes on my computer today so I can subscribe. Yes. And oh, review we'll have one more subscriber later today. <laughs> Oh, man. But we do appreciate it. Uh, you know, subscribe. Let us know what you think we're doing. Hit us up on social media. That being said, someone who really has some work cut out for them is this Orien squad that was just absolutely crushed by SKT. Uh, first game was rather close, I would say. Uh, what, what did you think about how Orien kind of attacked SKT in, in game one? Well, the first thing you obviously look at when you look at this game one is the pick and ban phase, right? You see the Elise Rek'Sai red side bans, which really put SKT on the back foot. They didn't want to give up the Gangplank or the Mordekaiser, and so it forced them to ban both along with the Tom Kench, which they saw as a very big priority pick in, throughout this whole series. And throughout the early to mid game, it actually went pretty well for Origin. They were winning at the 15-minute mark thanks to uh, an ability to get towers using the Tristana, which was a big part of their strategy in the first two games, to really push out those lanes and, and get some of those early objectives in ways other than kills, because kills and assists haven't been their thing in the early game, but getting towers could be. Unfortunately for them, this game really came down to the flame horizon in the top lane. This came up in both games one and two. Marin was just destroying Soaz. And... I don't know if you want to pin it on Soaz having a bad game or Marin playing great. I think it's a combination of the two. But when you're losing by 100 CS, it makes it very hard, even if you're winning some early fights, to pick the things that you want. And they weren't able to capitalize on that free early Baron as a result. So when it came down to the second Baron, where everything was really going to come down to who could get that fight and put themselves in the position, SKT grab it, SKT grabs pretty much everything else they want, and then they end up just taking the game from there. Yeah, I, I, I for one would agree. I, I thought that Orion played very, very well in the, the bottom half of the map, between mid lane and between bottom lane. The one thing that really kind of irks me about this series in general was that Orion was very content in allowing Soaz and Marin to 
duke it out by themselves. Very little, and until game three, very little in terms of ganking, very t- little in terms of uh, ward control in their red side jungle. And it really allowed SKT to play around Marin very efficiently. Was this a, a strategic decision by Orion that they didn't want to rely on Soaz, or was this a mistake by Orion? Well, you and I were talking yesterday about how if they wanted to win this series, you would think Soaz would be the centerpiece just because he's been someone who's been so good at individual lane matchups, getting CS, having those early 15-minute leads. He was only one of two people on that team who had leads at the 15-minute mark. So you would have thought that they would have put pressure in that direction, but I think having Hoon involved really threw off whatever their plans were. You know, there's this kind of idea that people get stuck in their heads that, oh, it's not Faker, so now we can attack the mid lane. And it really felt like they were trying to do that, putting pressure on the bottom of the map, putting pressure on Easy Hoon's Azir. But here's the funny thing, guys. Easy Hoon's Azir is better than Faker's Azir. That's one of the few champions that he is significantly just a strong, massively strong champion on. And trying to put the advantage in those areas just left Soaz hanging up to dry. I think it was a mistake caused by this just different understanding of the beast that SKT is when they're at that side. But at the same time, it wasn't the laning phase that destroyed them as much as it was not being able to capitalize on some of these rotations. There were times where the top lane was open, where they could have rotated Soaz down to get him some farm so he wasn't constantly having to go up against Marin. And they just chose not to. They were very, very hesitant to make these rotations, to make these plays across the map and put people in different positions They kind of let SKT make all the calls. And when you let SKT be the one that's dictating both the pace of the game and who's fighting where, it's very hard to come back from that. I I would agree. Game one finishes, uh, Marin would go 7-2-1 to Soaz's 3-4-5. That was probably the biggest story in that game, along with the lack of rotational play from Orion. Then we we get into this game, too, where Orion gets on the blue side, and the bans that allows them to kind of target ban and and get rid of some of the utility champions that Hoon likes to play, uh, the Azir and Lulu come to mind. SKT stuck with their ban strategy of just get rid of the Mordekaiser, get rid of the Gangplank, and then got rid of the last ban, Elise, forcing Orient to decide whether they wanted the Rek'Sai or not. Do you think that Orient got baited into the Rek'Sai? Granted that it was the other, you know, Elise and Rek'Sai are the two top tier junglers, but do you think they were sort of baited into having to take this champion? I mean... In a sense, I would agree with that. The, as If you look at the stats, the Rek'Sai was Amazing's best champion so far throughout this tournament. It was the champion in which he had the best early game pressure. It was the champion in which he had the highest kill participation on his team. The champion that was just overall had the upside that he had on his Elise when he was making all these kind of plays without the downside of the high death count that we often saw him have on that champion. Now, was it the right call or not? I don't know. I don't think that with Bengi, giving him the Rek'Sai would have been any worse than giving him the Jarvan, which, by the way, apologies to you guys, I don't think any of us saw the Jarvan being the thing that Bengi was going to fall back on. That was very interesting to see, and I really liked how that ended up working out for him. But yeah, when you take the first pick Rek'Sai, what you do is you leave up the Tom Kench, which, as I said before, this was something SKT heavily prioritized. It allows them to take the Sivir, have this massive farm, without giving up any of the worries about being caught out or picked apart by the Morgana cues and escapes. And really, the Morgana's kind of a weird pick going into that, because now you have both the Tom Kench to get out of positions and the Sivir Spell Shield. 
I just feel like they put way too much emphasis on trying to shut the Tom Kench down. And in the meantime, you let the Renekton pick go through for Marin, something that has been such a huge counter for whatever's going on in the top lane. And the Anivia just wasn't the right way to attack this team. And I, I think we could tell pretty much by the mid-game when SKT is on their third dragon and they get the 4-0 fight in the top lane and Origin just doesn't seem to have any open place to rotate, that this kind of composition just wasn't going to work. Uh, I would agree there. Jarvan, uh, Bengi on Jarvan there would have a 68% kilt participation in Game 2 going 0-0 and 11. And then SKT decided they didn't even want to risk Game 3. Uh, they didn't want to give any chance for Orion to get back into this, and they bring out Faker, the greatest player in the world, the greatest player of all time, <laughs> to close out the European hopes of an all-European final in Germany. Faker falling back onto the rise. Uh, I guess you call that a fallback champion for him, you know, considering he can play everything, including AP Tom Kench. Uh, and Marin goes with the Rumble. This, to me, this pick-ban phase from SKT kind of reeked of this, this overused word, this world's of sandbagging. Uh, of trying to go out with style, of, you know, just, just trying to kind of humiliate Orion here. Was there ever a chance in this game that Orion could have abused the fact that SKT's pick-ban phase was not the most optimal? Well, here's the thing about the SKT pick-ban phase. Yes, obviously you look at the Rumble and you say, that's not a meta pick, that's not something that you should expect right now. But when you're winning in CS so handily as he was against Soaz. The thing about Rumble is he adds so much utility with that ultimate, being able to zone out any objective control. What this basically said was, you're never getting a dragon over us. You're never getting a baron over us. If you run into us, I'm just going to flame spitter you, and it's just going to whittle you down, and you have no way of stopping me because you cannot beat me in lane. That's something you can take when you're so confident against your laning opponent that they're not going to be able to take advantage of some of the weaker parts of Rumble's early game, that you just know you're going to get to the mid game and be able to flourish with all the utility and damage over time that that Rumble brings. So I don't know. I will say when it happened, I was a little worried because I had SKT winning the 3-0 here. So I was like, oh, come on, guys, just play the strong champs, just bully the lane, get to the flame horizon for the third game in a row, Marin, and just carry it. But... Honestly, the Rumble ended up doing a lot of work, so I don't really have a problem with it. What I do have a problem with is putting the Lulu-Sivir matchup for Origin. That's just, there wasn't enough damage on this comp. I don't know what their overall goal was other than, I guess, you use the Gnar to disengage, you use the Lulu to keep people alive, but they weren't able to win any of these fights. You know, they stalled out the game a little bit, just in the sense that after SKT pushed all those early towers... There wasn't an obvious objective for them to take. But then they have that one 4-1 uh, to one victory, I should say, in the, in the river that ends up being this extended thing where Origin's tower diving and they all seem to be on different pages. And suddenly it was over. I mean, my mom went downstairs. She was watching the game with me. She went downstairs to clean the dinner table for like five minutes, came upstairs, and I'm like, oh, sorry, game's over. And the time you left, 4v1 fight, uh, so as... Solo killed by Faker in the top lane. SKT grabs the Baron. They're pushing every objective they want. And game was over. I mean, it was like a dream, really. It's like I couldn't believe that we had just watched <laughs> this entire game dismantle in about six minutes. 
<laughs> you blinked and all of a sudden it was over. A uh, faker does end the game on Rise six one and seven. Marin five one and four. To me, one of the the overarching problems with Orion was that Amazing was attempting to make plays, which is that's a good thing. That's his job as a jungler. However, some of them were. Like you said, they were on different pages. Like there was when they uh, in game one, they were diving mid lane and they got a bunch of kills and he flashed his Evelyn underneath the tower to finalize a kill that I think would have happened anyways because of the Tristana E. Mm -hmm. uh, there was in game two, a play where Soaz's Fiora was had heavily chunked out Marin's Renekton. Mithy hits a bind and then they all back off and amazing dives under the tower in an attempt to kill Renekton. <laughs> was this a... <laughs> you, you chuckle because it was kind of a silly play. It, it was ridiculous. I mean, the problem with Amazing is that it just seemed like either he was trying so hard to make something happen because he realized someone needed to be a playmaker on this team, or there were just huge miscommunication issues across the board. I'm inclined to say both just because of how many of these fights really just seemed stilted and Origin didn't really know where they were trying to escape and run off to. There were so many times where SKT would dive in and instead of either trying to re-engage or having a united disengage and running off together, they would all kind of scatter in different directions. Which, sure, that means SKT's probably not going to kill your whole team, but it also ensures they're getting at least another kill or two. And Amazing's dives that just seemed off were just another extension of that. It was this idea that they had to do something. They had to minimize these damages or make some sort of early thing happen that could turn everything around, which... If you're the underdog, I get that mentality. I get how you get to that mental space where you say, if I don't make a play now, we're going to lose this game. But all they did is accelerate the pace at which they lost. And this is something we've seen TSM do in international competitions before. We saw that at MSI, I think, was the, was the best example of that. It's a very easy trap to run into, but when you're Origin, you have a built-in game plan. You have Niels, who in Game 1... We got to give him credit. He had an amazing game one. His Tristana was something like 606, I think, by the end of that. I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but it was an incredible game for him on that champion. They have this hyperscaling AD carry that does all this damage and does so many things for their team. If they could just keep Soaz from falling that far behind and make better use of their AD carry, keep him protected, keep him safe, they had a plan. They just refused to execute it because they were either nervous or just not on the same page. And it's something that makes me believe that we're going to see some changes as to how they approach, uh, how they plan for these kinds of series, whether that involves just making roster changes or coaching changes, or what I think is more likely, changing the way that they let the coach run decisions. Because clearly, you know, this whole idea of everyone making calls by committee that XPECA has brought up multiple times just isn't working for him at this stage. Do we see XPECA and Soaz on this roster next year? That's so tough. Um, I think it depends on whether other rumors we've heard are true as far as x goes. I don't think that happens unless he finds a mid laner that he feels very happy with and who he thinks can fill that role for his team. He wouldn't leave Origin just kind of stranded there. I don't okay. see that being something he does. So as on the other hand, it really depends on how he's feeling. We've seen him kind of drift back and forth between retiring in the past. We know that he's never been a massive fan of Teleport, so the way the meta is now, this might not be the style of game that he really enjoys. He much prefers having these 
laning matchups. And we saw in this game, he can't really do that against the best of the best right now. But he can do it in Europe. We saw him do it in Europe repeatedly. We saw games throughout this tournament, especially in their quarterfinals against Flash Wolves. He was able to do just fine in those areas. I think it's really going to depend on whether he has the passion to fix some of the problems he has as far as not overextending, realizing where his towers are and what his escapes are, because God, so many times I saw him going way beyond his tower and just basically begging SKT to gank him and get a kill. He has to decide within himself whether he's willing to put in the work to fix that. And at this point in his career, I mean, hang it up. Go to the Hall of Fame that's going to eventually be made. Call it a day. I, I wouldn't be upset if he came back, but I wouldn't be surprised if he decided he's, uh, he's good to go. Fair enough, fair enough. Orian will finish uh, in third slash fourth place. I don't believe there is a third place tiebreaker match. Uh, SKT, on the other hand, they now get to go to the world championship for the second time in their organization's history. The first being back in 2013, where a roster that contained, guess who? Faker and Bengi uh, defeated uh, Royal Club. That one was the, the Miko Tabe and Uzi iteration of the roster. This year, they are going to be up against the winner of the semifinal tomorrow, which is either going to be Fnatic or Koo. And the big story is, what are the odds that SKT can win a world championship going completely undefeated through Worlds? What, what do you think about that? Well, it really comes down to which one of these two teams gets out. If it's Koo Tigers, I think this is a 3-0. Koo Tigers have really struggled against SKT historically, especially in best of fives. They don't have the same kind of individual strength that SKT does. You know, with SKT, you point to Faker, you point to Marin, you, you point to what Bang has been doing in this tournament, which maybe he's not the best AD carry ever, but he's been very, very good, if not great. And you can say, oh, well, they have these individual matchups that can can do enough, and they're really good at team fighting. Who is very good at team fighting? They don't have quite the individual strengths, I think, to keep up with SKT. And we've seen that time and time again within the LCK. When if it's Fnatic, it gets a little bit more interesting. Fnatic is a team that can respond with the same kind of early game pressure that SKT loves to inflict on other teams. They also love to skirmish. They also love to ward deep and get these kind of ganks that teams aren't expecting. They're really, really good at this EU 2v1 switch that's become very popular at this tournament, getting the early towers, using that to build off of other things. And if any mid laner is going to go toe-to-toe with Faker and not look stupid, I think Fabivin's that guy. He's been incredible throughout this tournament. I wouldn't say that I think that Fnatic could win that series. I don't think they're that close to where SKT is. But I do think a game is not out of reason for Fnatic, whereas with Koo Tigers, I'm pretty sure that that's a 3-0 just because of the familiarity of that matchup and how dominant SKT's been so far. That's fair. I, I would probably agree with you there. I, I still think that it'll be a 3-1. I don't think it's, no matter who gets through. I just think it's very difficult for a team to go on such a tear, and there will probably be a game where they allow Easy Hoon to play in the finals, potentially. And uh, there's just been a, a few games and a few mistakes where SKT, if they kind of roll in the wrong direction, you can kind of sneak up on them. That being said, you have not been able to sneak up on me yet in our Unicorn Challenge. Even through this game where you you bet on the 3-0 and came out a, a huge winner in that regard, I still maintain a lead of 
146 unicorns. The totals right now are myself at 775.17 and you at 730, uh, 739.19. It's not looking good for your charity right now. What, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, first of all, I did make up a 47.2 unicorn gap. My mistake was not putting more on SKT winning 3-0. I only put 50 on that. I put 50 on the under four and a half. I really should have gone harder on that one. Uh, that was almost guaranteed to be a thing. But I just, I had this terrible idea. When you, when you see odds that low, it's like, how much do I really want to put on there? Knowing mm-hmm. that if the, you know, the 1% chance that things go horribly wrong comes through, I lose a lot. And if I win, I don't gain that much. That was my mistake. I'm going to have to fix that going forward if I'm going to make this up. Meanwhile, my charity, Nothing But Nets, they do a lot of good work with or without my help. I'm just hoping that I can because they do a lot for underprivileged African countries that aren't really able to get the malaria vaccine the way that we can in this country. Obviously, vaccines really hard to travel, especially in Africa. You've got to keep that stuff cold, which means you need the frozen trucks that are specifically built for that stuff. But you know what you can do that's a lot easier? You get these nets that this charity provides, and it keeps the mosquitoes that carry malaria away. And you can save a whole family for just $10. That is incredible. We could save 10 families here if I end up winning this unicorn challenge, thanks to unicorn being so nice as to give us that $100 to our winning charity. But at the same time, I do feel like your charity is feeling more and more confident as I get less and less chances to get that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you only have two games left here, and with a 150 Unicoin lead approximately, even if you get 47 over tomorrow and next week, that still means that I win. And to write love on her arms is getting $100 to put towards uh, suicide prevention and depression awareness, which I think is a very good cause. And I'm so proud that I can hold on to this lead and get to the end and, and grab the gold for them. Hey, you know, the thing you're not expecting, though, is that for the finals, I'm just going to, if I'm behind still by the finals, I'm just gambling everything. (laughs) Everything on SKT. Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to put all of it across, you know, multiple bets. If it all works out the way that I pick, you're either going to have to have gambled everything yourself, or uh, I'm going to come back and make the massive comeback, and there will be uh, parades in the street and or just a couple memes on my Twitter you know, it's or, really, it could go either way, I suppose. Or I'm going to do the Jeopardy thing and bet just enough <laughs> to make sure that if every single one of our predictions are wrong, I still win. Well, this is why so. we bet blind, because otherwise <laughs> we would exactly, it would be like the price is right where you bet like one cent more and you just stare at that guy like, how dare you? Like, come on, man. Like, it's it's... It would become that kind of thing. I'm okay with where I am right now, especially because I think there's going to be some value to be found in this Fnatic coup series that we should really start talking about. Oh, oh! having seen the odds, there is definitely some value in here. We're going to start in the top lane with arguably the matchup between the next tier of top laners behind Marin. Uh, and that's going to be Smeb for Ku Tigers versus Huni. I think that, that Huni is arguably the second best top laner at Worlds. Just, I think he's been absolutely phenomenal in his carry play style. But, but what do you think? Does Smeb really stand a chance here? Well, it's funny that you say that you think Huni is the second best because I actually have a lot of problems with Huni as far as what he does and how the team has to work around him. Huni is a feast or famine kind of top laner, even more so than Soaz. He is diving all the time. When he's playing champions like Riven, that tends to go pretty well because you have this natural instinct based on your kid and based on what that can do to just constantly push in all the time. But it has led to a lot of 
problems for this guy. He's died 29 times in this tournament so far, which is seven more times than Smeb has in one fewer game. He's only gotten 38 kills for it. He's mostly done assists. It's a 3.6 KDA. He's responsible for 27.9% of the team's deaths while only doing 23.7% of the damage. The numbers just don't match up with some of the flashy highlights that we can see. And it's not that Huni is a bad player. He's just the kind of player that you have to build a strategy around. If Huni's going in, Fnatic has to follow. And this is where Smeb can take a bit of an advantage. Both of them are very similar in terms of uh, CS per minute. It's 7.9 for Huni versus 7.5 for Smeb. Smeb actually is slightly better at the 10-minute mark. 7.5 CS at 10 minutes lead compared to Huni's 5.4. Huni has a little bit more gold, but that's because they're fast-pushing turrets a little bit more. But these guys are pretty similar, and if you're looking at what's going to make the difference, it's more to me a matter of, does the Huni Rainover matchup defeat the Smeb Hojin matchup? And that's where I think this whole Gragas being banned thing really comes into play, because Hojin is very happy playing Lee Sin. I am not as convinced by Rainover's Olaf right now. I would say that's a pretty fair point, but we can also we can see what Fnatic will try to do in terms of picks and bans. They could try and uh, get the Rek'Sai for for Rainover, which he's been decent at. He it has not been his best champion at all, but he has played it a lot. He has a lot of experience on the champion. They can still go for Elise, although I don't think any team will actually let Elise go through the 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 pick ban phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, that being said, I also think Rainover is a little bit better in terms of his overall control of the map than Hojin, whether it's his ward control, whether it's getting into the enemy jungle and, you know, stealing a camp here or there or getting that deep vision in. So I think that is kind of the unique aspect of this where Rainover can help set up 2v1s or counter ganks to get Huni or, or Forbidden or Reckless ahead. The big, big matchup to me is this Kuro versus Forbidden matchup. This is where I think the, the series gets decided, and it's whether Kuro can remotely stand up to Fabivan, or if Fabivan is just going to walk all over him. Well, that's the thing that's funny about Kuro, right? I always like to use the Emily Rand quote that she once made on a Less Than Legends edition of this podcast, where she said, you know, the funny thing about Kuro is that he's very good on Victor and not so great at champions that are like Victor that you think he should be good at. And that's kind of been the thing about this tournament. His Azir has actually won two games at this tournament, but it is a very flawed Azir. It is an Azir that, when you combine it with his LCK stats, only has a 20% win rate because he was 0-6 in the regular season and had more losses than wins with it in the playoffs. Uh, his victor is incredible. It's undoubtedly his best champion, and it's something that I wouldn't be surprised to see Fnatic attempt to ban uh, especially if they're on blue side where they have a little bit more freedom to do so. The Vigar is the thing he defaulted to in the last round, and while I think he definitely got better with it in Game 2, the Event Horizons were just a little bit off consistently, and those are the kind of things that Fnatic is a team that will punish you for, especially Fabivan, who has just looked so good at this world stage. He gives pretty much the same kind of stat line that you look at when we compliment Faker. It's the same kind of thing. He's not taking... A lot of the team's gold, only 24% approximately of his team's gold share while doing more in damage, getting these CS leads, just doing so much for his team. The only thing he doesn't do is ward, and Huni kind of makes up for that, which is a surprising stat when you look at it breaking down. But it's just this idea that if he can counter the very specific zone control style that Kuro has, 
We know what Crow's going to do. It's, it's going to be zoning. It's going to be something like Victor, if not Victor. But Biven has had a whole week to counter exactly that plan. And if Crow has to do anything else, that's where I start getting terrified for Koo Tigers chances. I would say that that's a pretty fair point. Uh, Fabiven probably has a much greater mastery over a larger champion pool than Kuro. We've seen him play uh, multiple styles, be it Victor, be it Azir, be it Oriana, be it LeBlanc, be it... I think he's even played a Vigar game. He's he's kind of gone across the entire spectrum and has been really kind of the star mid laner that we expect coming out of Europe and that we expected from him. Let's not forget that at MSI, he was solo killing Faker in laning phase during uh, Fnatic's uh, semifinal loss in a, in a best of five game series that went to five games. On the other hand, now we have this bot lane that I think is even on paper, but maybe not so much in terms of the eye test, just because Reckless can play two different styles and has shown that he can play two different styles, especially with the fact that he picked up Jinx in their, in their quarterfinal game. Where do you think that this matchup in particular sits? Well, I guess it really depends on how Fnatic try to play this. I think if you try to do the same fast push, win lane, win game strategy that they've really specialized with that AD carry Kennen pick, I think that's when you get yourself into trouble because Prey doesn't get lane bullied. He's the best Ash in the world as far as I'm concerned. A 10.8 KDA, 1.5 kills and assists at 15 minutes on that champion, while only being behind slightly in CS and gold, which is incredible on a guy that's on a champion that's not supposed to be much of a lane bully. He has so much utility on these cross map arrows to make the other lanes less safe. So it really doesn't encourage this more risky bot lane centric play. And then you put him on his Jinx, which that's been his hard carry answer. 8.0 KDA. 5.5 kills and assists at 15 minutes, which is skewed by the snowball win over CLG, but still a very impressive one. I don't think that you can get away with this hard engage, force these fights in the bot lane early and often strategy against someone who's just been so good at some of these disengages, especially with Gorilla, who we know can play the Tom Kench very well, who we know can play a lot of different disengaged champions very well. It's going to require Reckless to flex some of his other champion muscles. And from talking to a couple people that are at Worlds right now and, and very familiar with the scene, the one thing I've learned, they said, I can't tell you anything about Fnatic strats, but Reckless can play everything. That's the one thing that I have been told time and time again when I talk to people about this Fnatic team. So I have no idea what they're bringing out for the bot lane. Apparently, Kennen might just be the tip of the iceberg. And I would not be surprised if they try to throw that Prey and Gorilla lane off by picking something that we have not seen them do so far. If anyone on the planet is going to do it, it's going to be someone paired with Yellow Star, who is... <laughs> uh, it, it's it's kind of quite interesting, the fact that Yellow Star has never made it to a, a, a finals, considering the, the longevity of his career, and, you know, that he's been with Fnatic for so long, and we just assume, oh, Fnatic were world champions in Season 1. Yellow Star must have been a part of that. No, he was back on SK at that time as an, an 80 carry main. And now here he is, you know, five years later, he's uh, has his chance to go to his first world finals as a support player and one of the elder statesmen of the scene. So I can't wait to watch this game. I think this is going to be the most entertaining series that we have had throughout the course of the, the world championship so far. And now it comes to the actual title of this podcast, Chase. Where do you think the line is for this series? 
First of all, I'm going to say it's very weird to be guessing a line without having looked it up and done all the stats and everything else. I'm not, I'm not used to this. I know you said in the pre-call that this is close, uh, that you were very close on your guess, I mean. So I'm yes. going to hope that I'm also close when I say Fnatic minus 180. I am actually closer. No! Why? No. I said Fnatic minus 185. Oh. It is Fnatic minus 188. That's cruel. That's, that's just I, cruel and unusual. I thought, I thought it was going to be 190, <laughs> in all honesty. I almost went 192. That's the worst part. <laughs> like, I was so close, and I'm like, nah, they'll give some respect to Koo because it's Korea. And that's the way it's going to go. Of course it's not. You, you gamblers, keep on, keep on going with Europe, man. The euphoria. Let it I, I, I will say that the line changed from yesterday till today. I, I'm not surprised to hear that. It's a very interesting series. I, I think if any series is going to go to five games, which we haven't had one yet, it would be very surprising to me if we had an entire bracket stage that never went to five games. I think this is it. I went on the analyst desk and I predicted a 3-2 for this series. People seem to feel pretty strongly in either direction. Either this will be a 3-1 for Koo or a 3-1 for Fnatic, depending on whether they're Korean or European fans. I hope mm-hmm. this goes to five games, if only because I want the silver scrapes. I think it's time. <laughs> if you would like to bet on Koo, they are plus 150 in this game. Uh, some other odds. Who do you think is the favorite to win game one? I mean, I've got to assume Fnatic's the favorite. If they're favored to win the series, then Koo wouldn't be favored to win game one. That would be ridiculous. You, you would be correct. Fnatic is favorites to win game one there at minus 143. Uh, Koo only at plus 115 for that. You're giving but me there's minus still one... some money there. I was going to say, you're giving me minus 143 for a blue side game one from Fnatic? What? Yes. Yes. I mean, Unicorn, I, you're very nice, but you don't have to be this nice. Like, I'm, I'm going to like you guys anyway. Like, we're clearly, we're already working with you on a podcast. You don't need to give away <laughs> these beautiful odds. Come on. <laughs> I, I think that either way that you go there, you have a pretty good chance to make money. It's just kind of the coin flip of, do you think that the blue side advantage is that strong that it almost guarantees a win? Or do you think you can pull something kind of funky out since uh, Hojin does not necessarily need one of the top tier junglers? That being said, I think that this is a five game series. And if, like myself, you think it's a five game series, you can get plus 185 if you think that this goes to five games that is tempting what's the under for that the under uh, so under minus four and a half games so four or under would be minus 238 okay so there's no value on that there's there's no value going under either you bet for the five game series or you just avoid it because these teams are too close to for minus two yeah that's not worth it man i that is tempting I mean, on the one hand, we haven't had one yet, so it feels like we're overdue. But on the other hand, that's why they call it the gambler's fallacy. So I'm not sure. Very, I'm very tossed up on that. Give me my handicap lines. This is where the, the, it gets really interesting. This, this is the most entertaining odds that I have seen, actually. If you think that Fnatic 3-0's Coup Tigers, you are at plus 330. Huh. I would have thought that would have been higher than that. I, I thought this was high, actually. I thought this was rather high. For a 3-0? Against a a Korean team? Like, against a Koo Tigers team in Nofei that's proven to be one of the best pick-and-ban teams that we've seen at this entire tournament? Yeah, I I think this is too high. I don't I think, think the 3-0 is like, oh, 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 yeah, you're yeah, right, you're right, you're right. Higher. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yes, it should be much higher. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's insane. Okay, 
So what's that, the, that is insanity. What's the minus one and a half then for the three? Ones? Minus one and a half is plus one ten for Fnatic. So if you think that they win uh, three one or better, see this is which... when I wish you could parlay exotic bets because I'd parlay that with the you know the under. And you could get some really interesting odds on that. Yes, but you don't do uh, that on exotic bets, unfortunately. Coup at uh, winning at plus two and a half games, so winning uh, two games or better is at minus four fifty five. No value there. Yeah, no. Uh, coup winning one game or better uh, is at minus one thirty seven. So a little bit of value there. That's coup Wait, plus. You must have you flipped those, right? Oh, uh, I flipped it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, okay, yeah. Coup winning two games or better is, is minus 137. Coup winning one game or better is minus 455. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. That, I, that's my bad. I think those lines are in, in line with what I would predict. I, I think it's very easy to see Coup Tigers potentially winning this series, or at the very least keeping it very, very close. So I'm not surprised there isn't as much value there. On the other hand... I think the plus one and a half is close enough that I would be willing to do the bet on Fnatic, bet on the five game series, and bet on five maps played, and bet on the coup plus one and a half. And at the very least, you have a hedge. Like you get mm-hmm. something if coup ends up winning that series, and you just hope it goes to five games, and you you bank on both of those things coming true. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be this is gonna be the most agonizing and most fun I've had looking at these exotic bets <laughs> this whole tournament. Because I have a gap to make up. I can't be I can't I have to throw caution to the wind at this point. If I yeah. keep playing it safe, it's not gonna matter. And, and I mean I can just keep playing it as safe as I want. Yeah, well it's until it... all of a sudden you catch up and on me in one day and I have to you know. Isn't it nice to be you then? Ha ha ha. It, it is wonderful to me. <laughs> me uh these games tomorrow start at 6 30 a.m pacific time uh that's 9 30 a.m eastern time chase i think we're at the end of a podcast here yeah i think we did it and, and shout out to you for uh for hosting your first podcast this is really exciting <laughs> thank you thank you i appreciate it i appreciate you uh turning the reins over to me uh for the first time, is there anything that you would like to shout out before we head off here and allow these wonderful people to enjoy the rest of their evening? Well, first of all, I guess we got to shout out the iTunes podcast, right? You can subscribe right now at the Esports Gambling Hour. Uh, this might not be the final name of this podcast. We're still talking with Unicorn about figuring out the final branding and how things are going to go going forward. But for now, if you search Esports Gambling Hour on iTunes, you could subscribe, you can leave a review. Both of those things are huge for us, and they really do mean the world. Meanwhile, if you just want to make sure you are the very first person to hear all of these things, you can go directly to soundcloud.com slash esportsgamblinghour and get them right away. And also, you should be going to unicorn.com slash community and reading the whole write-up I do. I do whole paragraphs, kind of breaking these things down and talking about overarching themes of the day, and it's it's really cool. You guys should totally go check it out. And by the way, if you're listening to this and seeing all the fun we're having on all these prop bets, now is as good a time as any to just sign up. Honestly, uh, you know, I would be promoting this even if they weren't uh, being so kind as to give us money for this Unicoin Challenge. It's just fun. It's just really, really fun. And there are, there are awesome prizes and stuff all the time. I was showing this off to my mom yesterday. She thinks this is the coolest thing ever, especially now that she knows they're like publicly traded as a company. She's freaking out about this. It's just something that I would 
really like to see you guys uh, get involved and then tweet us about it because we love hearing all of your crazy gambling stories. Uh, you can find me at at RedShirtKing and Walter, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at C80s underscore lull. And with that, I, I get to say this for the first time. Goodbye, Internet.